0: If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Mark, the fifth chapter. And I confess, this preaching today was set up before everything was finalized, and so I thought, well, I'll just go to the lectionary, and it went to one of my favorite passages here in the fifth chapter of of Mark. Mark, the fifth chapter, verses 21 to 43. Let's hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. May God bless this reading of His Word. Amen. Be honest. How many of you remember a group called the Beatles? Some of you aren't being honest, I don't think. (laughs) For those of you who are too young, or for those of you who maybe were just living in too much of a fog during that era, somebody caught that. (laughs) The Beatles were a music group. And yet more than that, they were a cultural phenomenon, the likes of which are seldom seen. And one of the songs they recorded, which has always lasted in my memory, was entitled, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Now the lyrics describe the sensation that the singer said he felt when he touched his beloved. It went like this: "And when I touch you, I feel happy inside. It's such feeling that my love I can't hide. I can't hide. I can't hide. I want to hold your hand." Barb asked me if I was going to sing that, and I said, "No, I wouldn't put you through that." But some of you, I think, can remember that very well. But the point is this. It was saying there is something magical, something mysterious, something powerful about a touch. Now I am sure the Beatles were not aware of it, but this passage in the Gospel of Mark says very much the same thing and demonstrates it powerfully. Through these two incidents, we see that despair and hopelessness and powerlessness all converge with power and wholeness because God transfers his power to us through the touch of faith. God transfers his power to us through the touch of faith. Verse 36 is the thread that holds it all together. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. So for a few minutes let's just follow Mark as he relates what happens in these events. And the first thing we need to do is examine these these two timely transfers. Now, all the eyes are on Jesus. Once again, he's center stage. And as usual, there's a crowd gathered. Some have come because they're curious. Some have come because they want to learn. Some have come because they want to judge him. But they're all there. In fact, let's imagine that, that we're part of, of that crowd. We're hemmed in, yet not uncomfortable, because after all, it's, it's a small price to pay to, to be near Jesus, to see him and to hear him. But he's barely begun to teach... And once again he's interrupted. Word quickly sp- spreads that, that a man has come to see him. And it's not a beggar. It's not a poor man. It's, it's Jairus. Jairus, the, the ruler of the local synagogue. A man of power and wealth and prominence and esteem. What in the world could he want? I mean, people of his status have nothing to do with the Jesus type. And here he is standing before Jesus. In fact, he's not standing. Now he's, he's kneeling before him. It, it's as if he's, he's begging. He has something he wants to ask Jesus, and it, it has something to do with, with his daughter, 12 years old. What's that? The word is that she's at death's door. It's obvious Jairus loves her, and he'll do anything to save her. What's that, he said? Looking at Jesus... I beg of you, just put your hands on her and she will be well and live. Just, just imagine that scene for a moment. Royalty bowing before the itinerant preacher. It's like royalty bowing before peasantry. Let's take time out from the crowd for a moment. You see, desperation drives us to Jesus, doesn't it? When the treasures of our hearts are threatened. When our loved ones are ripped away from us. When our money and our position and our power don't seem to help anymore. We find ourselves running to Jesus. When all else fails, it's amazing how we can swallow our pride and say, okay, I need some help and at least offer up a prayer. I mean, certainly, certainly it can't hurt, can it? We're back in the crowd again. All the eyes are riveted on Jesus. What will he do? What will he do? He never hesitates. He reaches out to Jairus and he lifts him up by the hand and he says, lead the way. And Jairus turns and goes and Jesus follows and and we we follow along with him because we wouldn't miss this for the world. We want to see what's going to happen, what's going to be next. And now we're really pressed together. You see, the city streets are narrow, not made for large throngs of people. The roads turn and they twist, and now we, we bump into each other, but we're excited. Some are ecstatic. And we're all we're infected with curiosity. At the same time, we're oblivious to everything else. Everything, everyone is giving their viewpoint of what Jesus will do. The local odds makers are, are taking bets. They're they're having a ball. Yet Jesus truly is the only one who knows. And so we keep hustling. We want to keep close because we don't want to miss a thing. Our eyes are glued to him. So focused and glued to him that we never see the woman at the edge of the crowd. And it's probably a good thing we didn't see her because if if we had seen her we would have had to part because she's unclean. She's an outcast. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, and if we had seen her, we would have had to move away so as not to touch her and become unclean ourselves. And not only was she cast out, she was racked with pain and suffering. She had been to every physician she could find, and none of them had been able to help. In fact, her condition had gotten worse. Her money was gone. She was destitute. But there was something else about her. In the midst of her hopeless case, She had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. She had heard about his his great power. She understood it was the common people who were attracted to him and who went to him. The beggars were pleased. Little children sang to him. The diseased swarmed to him. The disfigured crawled to him. The helpless were drawn to him. The harassed found strength in him. The persecuted spoke of him with tenderness. All of them, hopeless like her, in their own way, were healed by him. And this desire for a miracle in her life burned like a branding iron in her soul. Let's take time out again. We've been there, haven't we? Hopelessness drives us to Jesus. Our grief, our broken relationships, our rebellious children, our neglectful parents, our abusive spouses, our our incurable nagging illness, our incessant handicap, our our lack of giftedness, our shortage of money, our fatigue at the living of life, our, our being overwhelmed day after day with COVID and all its implications and the truth and the falseness and dealing with all of that. Sometimes it just seems hopeless. And yet, that hopelessness drives us to Jesus. So here we are, side by side with this this lone, brave woman. She had to get to Jesus, if even she thought, I can just touch the hem of his garment. And we really never did see her. She just moved to the edge of the crowd, he walked by, she touched his robe, and instantly, we're told, immediately, she was healed, her muscles vibrant. The bleeding stopped. Her lungs filled with fresh air. So quickly she turns and she moves away. Nobody noticed. That's just the way she wanted it. She made her way back through the crowd. She was on her way home. But then then she hears Jesus say, Who touched me? The crowd is stunned. And quickly people start to remember, Not me, not me, not me. And the disciples sort of chide Jesus, and they say, With all these people, and you want to know who it is that touched you? But Jesus persists. He doesn't want the woman to go away without being fully healed, without experiencing new life. Finally, the woman realizes she needs to go to him. She turns around and makes her way to him. And now we see her. In fear and yet in gratitude, she kneels before him and she spills the whole story of her life. And Jesus listens tenderly, all the while knowing that Jairus' daughter is about to die. But he gives her the time and he listens until her story is done. And then he looks straight into her eyes and lovingly says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in shalom. She's whole. She is whole, never to be the same again. And we're not sure how to react. Do we cheer? Do we applaud? Do we go greet her? Do we follow Jesus? But before we can even decide, another group of people are there, another group of messengers. They go to Jairus and tell him his daughter has died. And they say, why bother the teacher anymore? We're all powerless. But Jesus overheard what they said, and he said to them, don't be afraid. Just believe. And he heads towards Jairus' home. And we want desperately to follow. See, isn't it amazing? Powerlessness also drives us to Jesus. There's something about the confidence and commanding presence of Jesus that just compels us to go to him <clears throat> On a slim chance that the power we lack is in him. And well you you know the rest of the story. <clears throat> Little girl was raised from the dead. Power of Jesus had had won the day. And so I ask you this morning, of what are you despairing? With what are you feeling hopeless? Where do you feel powerless? What is it that's driving you to Christ? Know this. Jesus wants to hold your hand. And as you ponder and reflect upon those questions, consider what I consider to be four timeless truths that jump out from these encounters the first is remember that jesus love is not particular his love knows no boundaries think of that scene again Jairus and the woman they are on opposite ends of every measurable scale socially economically spiritually politically Jairus is a man of distinction. He has great honor. He's held in great respect. By contrast, the woman has no honor. She's an outcast. She's separated from the community. She can't even go into the temple and synagogue to worship. She has no honor. And then too, Jairus Jairus has a large household. He's a man of means. And this woman, nameless to us, has nothing. It appears the only things that these two have in common are they've heard about Jesus, they desperately desire healing, and they've run out of options. And in the midst of their need, before Jesus, they are equal. They are no different than all the beggars and all the cripples who have cried out to him. Yet Jesus responds to both of them equally. Both receive the healing that they seek. Jesus refuses to look on the outside. He looks on the inside, and what he sees is a hurting heart, desperately wanting his help. Now think about that for a moment. Every time we gather for worship, we are one. All the distinctions are gone your wealth or lack of it, your character or your lack of it, your status or lack of it, your popularity or lack of it. It's gone. It doesn't matter. Jesus is concerned with what's in your heart, and whatever despair, whatever hopelessness, whatever powerlessness you experience, it's okay to bring it to Jesus because His love knows no boundaries. It is not particular. The second timeless truth is Faith is the antidote to fear. Again, I said the key verse is 36. Don't be afraid. Just believe. To fear is to worry about, be overcome by current circumstances or the thoughts of future possibilities. Faith is refusing to be caught up in those current circumstances and future possibilities and focusing instead upon Jesus As the psalmist said in Psalm 56.3, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Now notice something. Jairus said, Put your hands on her so that she will live and be healed. And the woman thought, If I can just touch him, just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Just touch him almost sounds like magic, doesn't it? Just touch and be healed. In fact, it at times sounds to me like what we used to call televangelists, religious hucksters, you know the ones. <clears throat> they'd preach on television <clears throat> and they'd say to people, now, now just touch your TV screen and you'll be healed. Just send me a donation and I'll send you a vial with oil and you'll be healed or will send you a strip of cloth that you can touch and you'll be healed. And we sit back, we shake our heads and say, it's nonsense, and yet some do it, and some of those who do it are healed. Could it just be that in them Jesus saw an action, not of fear, but of belief? And yet, you can say, yeah, Curry, but not everybody's healed my spouse wasn't, my mother wasn't, my child wasn't, my friend wasn't. You're right. But let's think about that. Both Jairus' daughter and this unnamed woman eventually came to a point where they weren't healed either. We'll all face that day. So what do we do with that? Someone explained it this way. Evil, sickness, and the death of little children continue to exist in our world not every touch heals and those with faith still hear the dreaded word from the doctor your little girl is dead this passage does not offer any explanation for why a loving god allows evil to continue to exist or why the inexplicable still occurs it does affirm that god is on the side of those who suffer and are stricken by grief A miracle does not occur in every disastrous situation, but it does not lessen God's power to save. The miracle of a healing of emotional pain is no less miraculous. Then listen. If God intervened in every situation, we would never have to exercise faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego expressed the only kind of faith that carries us through any and all tragedy when they declared to their tormentor, and this is in Daniel 3, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, it's the existence of faith that counts, not the results of faith. One of the lowest points in the life of reformer Martin Luther occurred when his beloved daughter Magdalena, age 14, was afflicted by the plague. Brokenhearted, he repeatedly knelt down beside her bed and cried out for God to relieve her from the pain. And then she died. And as the carpenters were putting the last nails into the cover of her coffin, it is said that Luther cried out, hammer away! On doomsday she will rise again. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Whatever your anxieties, whatever your fears about your situation or your future, don't be afraid. Just believe. Faith is the antidote to fear. And here's the third timeless truth. Human touch has the power to arrest Jesus. It is the touch of faith that always stops Jesus in his tracks. Over and over again, he stops his preaching, he stops his traveling, he stops his teaching to respond to somebody who has reached out and touched him. So you need to touch him. So many people throng around Jesus, but they never touch him. So many people come near to Jesus to listen to Him, but they never touch Him. Thronging around Jesus will not save you. Coming near to Jesus will not heal you. Sometimes we have to stop mingling in the crowd and touch Jesus for ourselves or on behalf of someone else. And what does that mean? It means to let go of everything else and simply to take His hand. Just take His hand. It means to admit that we can no longer handle it by ourselves. There's a reason that every 10- or 12-step program begins with, I cannot do it on my own. Some things take more than determination. They take an inner working, and that's where God goes to work through Jesus Christ. Many of you know exactly what I mean. You've struggled with your addiction, your anger, your temptation, your illness, your fears, your attitudes. You've said over and over again, I can do this, I can beat this. Truth is, certain changes can only occur from the inside and Jesus is the one to do it, but you must come to the end of yourself and ask for help. To what have you said? What else can I do? When you get to that point, give it up. Let it go. Because Jesus wants to hold your hand. And when he does, power will gush forth from him and flow into your heart, body, mind, and soul. And here's the fourth timeless truth. Jesus desires a long-term relationship, not a quick fix, healing. We have developed such a quick fix, fast mentality. Here's what I want. I want it now. Give it to me now in my way. Nothing less, nothing more. And it may be that Jesus will do it in that way, but he wants so much more than that. Jesus wanted the woman to tell her story so he could completely change her life. Jesus wanted to go to Jairus' house so he could touch his daughter and give her a new life to transform her life. Make no mistake about it. Jesus wants to hold your hand because he wants to heal you. But more than that, Jesus wants your heart because he wants to fill it. And Jesus is concerned with your present moment, but he's more concerned with your future moments. He wants a long-term relationship, not a momentary contact. Jesus wants to hold your hand. I urge you this morning to reach up and take it. Receive his power. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Go ahead. Take his hand. Let's pray. Lord God, it is so hard in the midst of our pride to admit when we need you. Help us not to fear, but to believe. And even now, here in this sanctuary, for those listening online now or later, there are those who need to reach out, to let go of their despair, their hopelessness, their powerlessness, take your hand and Lord as they take your hand send your power in them and through them and make life new Lord we believe help our unbelief Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.